0: You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel.
1: And welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 325th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it's our 1008th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of February 1st, 2024. I'm your host, the coach, Brian Tonsoni. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. This week's Banner Moment happened on Tuesday evening. Let's all go back to a time in our youth, a time in our driveway or local basketball hoop or local playground. We're dribbling the basketball. We're counting down the clock. We're saying in our heads, maybe even saying out loud, the Hoosiers are down one with five seconds left. The countdown closes in on zero. We take the shot. Quote, it went in. The Hoosiers have won the game on a buzzer beater. End of quote. I'm talking about a dream. A dream we all had many times in our own basketball worlds on those driveways and playgrounds. Well, Anthony Leo had similar dreams, and last Tuesday night he got to live out that driveway dream. Anthony scored a career high with 13 points, three on three three three-pointers, a nice drive, some free throws. He added seven rebounds, some awesome passing, and some great defense. Anthony Leo had his dream game. The Leo game came at a good time. A time where all Hoosiers, players, coaches, staff, fans, we're all struggling with losing and poor performances and how to react to it all. Anthony Leo's dream game provided us all with some relief. See, Anthony Leo is a Hoosier, an Indiana Hoosier, basketball player, a former Indiana high school Mr. Basketball, and yes, a former Hoosier youngster in the driveway shooting hoops. Thanks, Anthony, for the banner moment of the week and a memory we will all remember. Hey, Anthony, keep on living out those dreams. Go Hoosiers. Okay, now let me introduce my co-host for the week. Jared and Ryan are both out this week. Ryan is already drinking beer in Bloomington, having flown in this afternoon and had dinner. Uh, I doubt that he's even listening or thinking about the show. Uh, Jared's flight is leaving early tomorrow morning, so he's wishing his kids uh, good night, kissing them and packing up uh, and getting ready to fly out at 7 in the morning. Uh, but here we are. Um, we have the Josh Shirts of Girls Youth Sports Coaching in Cincinnati, the president emeritus of the Robert Johnson Fan Club, and one of the world's most renowned bracketologists. The best of you sports coaching, you know that we got them. When it comes to analytic trends, you know he can spot them. For first class bracketology, if you want the top, you gotta go bottom. If you want the top, you've got to go bottom, bottom. If you want the top, you've got to go bottom. bottom. Want- Andy, what is your bottoms line on the last week in Indiana basketball?
0: Well, I didn't get a chance to be on uh, Tuesday with, uh, with you guys. And so, you know, that really is the, the big story of the week for me. Not only are you getting a, a much needed victory, uh, playing well, playing with some adversity being able to come through it. But as you said, Anthony Leal, just a, a great story. Uh, awesome to see him step up uh, in, in such key situations and really uh, be such a difference maker in the game. Uh, not to overshadow completely what Khalil Ware did on you know one to one and a half legs, uh, it felt like, but uh, you know he had a, an impressive performance as well. So uh, you hope that this is something that the team can really rally around and build off of and, and move forward. Uh, and built some momentum here down the rest of the season. There's still plenty of games left. Uh, so y- you hope that that's something that they really, uh, you know, like you said, gave some relief uh, initially, but hopefully give some confidence too as we move forward. Uh, another uh, winnable game on on Saturday at home, and use those things as a springboard to get you into uh, the last you know eight or so games of of league play, and see what can happen from there. And so we'll talk more about that game uh, as we go on. But some some interesting things, and changes uh, that we saw, and and most importantly, just glad they come away with the victory, a good team win, um, and uh, awesome to see them rally together and overcome what seemed like for a minute there another Iowa miracle shot that was going to sink IU and. Uh, To to not let that get him down and come back And and pull out the victory in the end was certainly great
1: Also here with us We have a former basketball coach turned business leader Who you know as the founder and editor Of the IU Film Room He's also the proud papa of two sharpshooting Future Hoosier guards in the classes Of 2038 and 2040 Ladies and gentlemen It's
0: Coach Adronia
1: Ladies and gentlemen, it's Coach Adrania. What's on your mind uh, after a week of Indiana basketball that saw a nice victory over the Iowa Hawkeyes?
2: I know I'm biased, but man, I love that song. (laughs) That's catchy. It's pretty catchy. Woody draws Um, it up. (laughs) It's good stuff. Uh, thanks to Bob Thompson for the, for all of our music. But, yeah, with that said, you know, super fired up to be here tonight. Um, super fired up about, you know, the, the win Tuesday night. And, you know, really coming out of that victory more unscathed than I probably thought right after the game. You know, I all indications I thought were, you know, X is probably done. Um, you know, Renew's ankle didn't look great. Ware was hobbling around the court. And then you know, things start coming out, um, from different outlets that, you know, x-rays are negative on everybody. Um, and things are, you know, trending in a good direction. Doesn't mean all of them are going to play this Saturday, but, um, you know, all things considered uh, a gutsy win from Indiana against Iowa, you come out of it, you're a little bit more healthy than maybe you thought you were, or or you're going to be healthier at least, um, which is great news. So, um you know as Andy said we'll chat about that game later and some of the things that that I've seen um you know Indiana change that I thought kind of helped allow them to to be in that game against Iowa but um I'm really fired up about Saturday you know uh gonna get to hang out with everybody um with our meetup at at Upstairs Pub um and you know it's always one of my favorite weekends of the year when we get to convene with with all the folks um you know in our community and in that watch assembly call so i'm fired up for you know this weekend and and hopefully also seeing indiana w in the process
1: very good uh segment one today we're we're gonna just uh maybe go over a little bit of that um penn state game that's coming up saturday and talk about our meetup uh segment two we're going to talk about iowa uh as, as tony said and then we have some really great questions coming up in, in segment three all of that uh, will be here this week on assembly call radio and now let's talk about our presenting sponsor home Field apparel, well on for the team. this edition of assembly call radio just like all shows on the back home network is presented by our friends at Homefield apparel where they have the largest collection of vintage iu apparel that you'll find anywhere and it's not just IU, though their founder and CEO, Connor, did recently tease here on our show that a big IU refresh is coming soon. But Homefield has something for fans and grads of pretty much every school with unique vintage logos for all of those schools. No matter what you buy, you know it'll be comfortable. The colors will last through many washings. And plus, you're supporting an Indiana based company that came up through Kelly. What could be better than that? Uh, I put Homefield up on the uh, smart board today for our students as we were studying entrepreneurship. Always hoping that maybe we get two or three purchases for uh, Connor and Homefield. And we spread the Homefield love uh, in the classroom. So, uh, you know, all the future earners uh, need to buy Homefield. I got a little Gonzaga on. They need a little help because they're not in the tournament right now and struggling. So I thought I'd uh, throw this sweatshirt on tonight. One of my uh, many, many, many purchases. Milwaukee. Milwaukee. One of our former bracketologists, Andy, is a baseball Division I baseball player at University of Milwaukee, so I'm going to have to buy uh, a University of Milwaukee sweatshirt. Uh, Go buy some stuff and go to homefieldapparel.com and use our promo code HOME23 for 15% off your entire first order. That's promo code HOME23 for 15% off. Once again, the website is homefieldapparel.com. Wear one for the team. All right. Uh, here's some Hoosier headlines for us. As Tony mentioned, uh, the meetup is uh, starting uh, tomorrow. We'll be in town for a team dinner. Uh, we will be out uh, on uh, out in the town somewhere. Uh, come find us, and and uh, drinks are on Bob Moats. Uh, he said he's going to have a tab. So <laughs> make sure that you come and and get that tab as high as we possibly can. Uh, joking there, to be honest. Um, But we'll be at the Upstairs Pub after the game. Galen and Scott Caulfield will be watching the game there and providing halftime and immediate post-game entertainment. Uh, We're sponsored by Hard Truth Distillery. T-shirts will be provided for over 100 folks or about the first 100 there will be a raffle supporting the hoosier ticket project also on saturday at the post game and we will be doing a show it will not be live on youtube so make sure uh as our usual post game shows come on three or four minutes after uh the end of the game it will not be on live saturday we are taping it uh, once we all leave assembly hall and get back uh, to upstairs pub we will be taping it and putting it out for uh later consumption also, uh, Indiana in the metrics, it's one of the things that struggle. Indiana still has a chance to have uh, a good, positive winning season, uh, but the metrics are a big part of where you land in the postseason. Uh, Bart Torvik has Indiana 77th. Ken Palm uh, has Indiana 88th. The net, which is the main uh, sorting tool for the NCAA committee, 94th. Evan Maya, 84th. So there's some uh, issues there with the offense and defensive efficiency all year. We have seen some good things in the last two games that are are moving those in the right direction. Does Indiana have enough time? Uh, And Andy, I got a question for you when I'm done reading all these uh, questions. Well, let's just go to that right now. We'll get to the IU Penn State later. Um, What are there targets uh, that IU fans should be looking for in these metrics that are passable for a tournament team? I I know you and I are probably going to be Debbie Downers to those IU fans after a big win from Iowa. we got to be honest about Indiana's chances. Um, if there was a good run, what where does Indiana kind of have to get in these metrics, in your opinion, and is it possible?
0: I, I think the high – I mean, I guess one would be, you know, Torvik and, and Evan Maya aren't on the team sheet, so they don't really factor in to anything. I, I definitely don't have history on those. I think the highest net team to get in was like 77, I want to say. Yep. Rutgers, um, which is Rutgers. Um, and I think that was a year they had like a really weird resume. They had some huge, huge wins, but also had multiple bad losses. And so their net ended out kind of high, but at least they could really hang their hat on. There's a few really good wins uh, that were there. So, you know, that's ultimately the biggest challenge for IU. I, they're not going to be able to pick up enough big wins at this point to be able to have, you know, the highest net anybody's ever had. So I think you got to work your way. I, up pretty far. I mean, I don't, I don't know. There's not really a, you know, a, a true cutoff. Yeah. You know, I think what you want to look at when you're, when you're looking at these other metrics is looking at the resume metrics. So that is um, the strength of record and KPI. Uh, those are the ones that really measure what you've done. The predictives are BPI and, and Ken Palm, and those matter less for selection uh, so you really need to see IU get better in those other metrics, and I I don't have in front of me where they are right now. They are 70
1: um, in KPI and 57 in strength of record. Um, yeah. At this, at so this
0: time. I I think somebody had told me that nobody had ever gotten in. I think one of the other guys in the fielding the 68 show had said nobody had ever gotten in with those over like averaging out to over 60 or something like that. All right, maybe it wasn't them. I think it was Graham Dorn. I want to try to give credit to whoever it was that said it. I think it was him or Kerry Miller, but. Nevertheless, I use got work to do. Um, you know the predictives are are hurt a lot by not winning the the non conference games by a wide margin. Nothing you can do about that now. You just need to go win games and try to get uh, enough there. And as we've talked about before, just not a lot of great great wins to get from a Big Ten perspective. This game on Saturday is the only remaining Q three game. Uh, at least as of the last I looked at it. So you definitely want to take care of business in that one, but they, they just need to win a lot of games, quite honestly. Uh, you know, i do not not saying they got to win out, um, but they really got to stack wins at, at this point. I know there's a couple of bracketology-related questions later. So I don't think there's real targets there. there. There's not a true, if you don't get to this, you won't get in. There's some history around some of those, but every resume is a little bit different. Um, so they got they got work to do for sure.
1: As far as the metrics, and we'll we'll talk about quad wins and, and, and the quality on the schedule left in the great bracketology questions in in segment three, they got to get they got to get in the to have any chance a high low seventies high sixties, and then that's got to probably with some big wins including Purdue Wisconsin that will help get the metrics up to get those quality wins to to have a chance, and, and then I think the best case scenario from our vantage point is. They get a couple big wins and that metric gets up somewhere in the 60s maybe if it can get there, and then you make a run in the Big Ten kind of like year one uh, under under Woodson would be the, the dream scenario now. Uh, and I'm not smart enough to put a percentage on what that likely is to be. Um, I'm not counting on that, and that's not trying to be pessimistic. It's just uh, these numbers are somewhat – you know, solid, uh, and it takes a lot of wins and a lot of good play in a row uh, to change these metrics. Tony, we're going to come to you first on this. IU uh, versus Penn State Saturday at noon. We don't know what Malik and X are going to do. We, we received good news overall about the longevity of their injuries, but it does seem possible that uh, Indiana may play without both of these. I think X is almost certainly out. Uh, Malik has a better chance to play but we're not counting on on him being ready to go uh Saturday. Penn State has an injury, Kane Clary, sophomore, who's taken a big jump this season. He was day to day a few years ago. Uh, so he might be able to play on on Saturday. A few,
0: a few days ago, not a few years ago. I mean, he could have been a few years ago too. A few days
1: ago. Totally misread the I wonder what you're laughing I Like did I mispronounce his name? Uh totally uh, Well, misread you did that the... too. You did that too, but that
0: that wasn't why we were laughing. Oh. I think it's I think it's he Kanye was the day-
1: Clary. Kanye Clary day to day, uh, a few days ago. So there's a better yeah, chance. He did, he, not plays play.
0: he did not play Saturday. at Rutgers, um, yeah. for what that's worth. <laughs> he and missed Penn a couple of games at junior high school. So we'll <laughs> yeah. see.
1: He was hurt as a middle schooler. Uh, <laughs> all right. is tough. I'm, I'm really going to buy some beer from Bob Moats now with you guys ripping me on that, but well-deserved, well-deserved. So Kanye Clary, uh, watch to see if he'll play Saturday. Penn state's one and eight on the road. Just beat Rutgers though. um, And their strengths are turnover margin, defending the three-point line, and then they have a veteran team, uh, weaknesses, shooting, defending the twos, uh, fouling and putting people on the foul line, uh, and and rebounding. Tony, the keys that you think um, coming off a nice win against Iowa, handling some adversity with some players in some new minutes and new roles that we don't know about yet until game time, what do you think is the key Saturday for the Hoosiers to get their second win in a row?
2: Yeah, I mean, in all honesty, Penn State, their three-point rate is fairly high, so don't let them see one get in early um, and build some confidence because their, their three-point shooting is some of the worst in the country. I think they're like 30% um, in three-point shooting. Indiana is the best in three-point defense in the, in Big Ten play currently. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in all honesty, Indiana on paper is, is better. I think they're better um, – you know, well-equipped, you got a game in Assembly Hall. I think Jared made a great point the other night that, like, kind of was kind of worried about this Saturday being kind of a dud in Assembly Hall prior to the Iowa game. Like, if you're coming off of four losses, you're playing a bad Penn State team, it's a noon tip, like, the energy in the building might not be great. But now I feel like not only did the Iowa game kind of rejuvenate, re-energize the team, but quite possibly the fan base as well, and and so I think you'll see a much better environment on Saturday based on uh, the way they played on Tuesday because the way they won Tuesday, you know, it was it was one of those games where, and I know I'm getting into Iowa now, but it's it's leading into why what I think about Penn State is like it was one of those games where if Indiana did happen to lose, you're not happy about it, but they fought like hell, they um you know executed offensively, defensively, the game plan. Iowa kid, you know, made a tough shot, and, you know, you lose the game. Like, you live with it. You don't ever want to lose, but it was one of the ones you could have lived with if they did lose it the way in which it happened. Um, Instead, they win, so you feel pretty dang good about it. Like I said, they played hard. Guys stepped up. You know, Coach Woodson has constantly preached the next man up mentality. Guys stepped up. And so that's really what I'm looking for against Penn State is more of just a carryover of – things we saw against uh Iowa you know great defensive execution the offense was a little bit more open and you know I think you'll see that especially if one of Malik or Ware is out and so those are things that intrigued me the other night and so really I'm just looking for more of a carryover from the Iowa game um and put Penn State away
1: I think coach you make a really good point that and maybe I overblow this a little bit but that was an Indiana win what what I mean, everyone contributed, uh, you know, the second, the 10 minutes in the second half when they made the comeback, you know, uh, was a little disappointing, but that happens runs happen in the game of basketball, but I'm huge on handling that adversity within the game. And you had an injury at the 17 minute mark with your stud, and then you had an injury late, you had a late shot. Uh, you had a comeback from a 11 point halftime lead and and Indiana teams of the past that we've fallen in love with have been resolved enough to overcome that especially in assembly hall and, and so not only was it a win to end a three-game losing streak but it was an, a win that we all kind of can attach to or, or at least this old guy can attach to that that used to happen all the time that next man up mentality that's india that's indiana basketball and then especially with you know leal and even like gabe cups who has struggled to, to score the basketball hits a huge huge three so so, it was just everyone. Walker contributed. Ware was outstanding for that one stretch of offensive rebounds and putbacks. Uh, it was just a quality win. I do agree that that got a little juice going, and hopefully Saturday at noon, that place is hopping uh, because uh, th- those young men deserve that. Andy, coming to you, um, we don't know who's available and everything, but let's assume Malik and X are out. How does IU start the game and and, and what kind of things do you think will be the keys for Penn State? I know that kind of overlaps with some of the changes we've seen uh, in the last two weeks uh, that we'll talk about in segment two. But specifically for Penn State, what do you think the lineups are going to be and some of the key performers need to be uh, with those two possibly being out?
0: Yeah, I think – you know, a couple, couple quick things on Penn State. You know, one, the, the turnovers is a big deal. Uh, they force them at a high rate, but they also commit them at a high rate. So can, can IU, who doesn't normally force a ton, can they get some going the other way? Um, but obviously there have been games this year where things have snowballed in IU. They've had turnovers and bunches, and how do you do some of those things? Um, you're going to see a variety of looks from Penn State. Uh, Mike Rhodes comes from VCU and the whole havoc. They're not running that exactly, but they they're, have elements of it. Uh, and so that's going to be a big one is just staying composed, taking care of the ball because the other numbers for Penn state aren't particularly good defensively, which suggests you beat the press, you take care of the ball, you're going to get a good shot. Uh, so if I, you can handle that, be in the right spots. Uh, I think that becomes uh, really important in the game. And then from a player standpoint, you know, Clary, uh, or Clary is their leading scorer, uh, at uh, a little bit over 18 points a game, shoots the three. Well, So he's a guy, if he's playing, you really got to be aware of. But no matter what, the guy who makes it all go is Ace Baldwin. He followed Rhodes from VCU, was I think the A-10 player of the year last year. So a really, really good point guard, good defender, uh, great defender. And so you got to be able to try to kind of control him uh, on either end of the floor and and figure out what you're going to do there. Uh, When you think lineup-wise, you know you can kind of pencil in at this point, Galloway, Mbaco, and Ware, and then it's kind of how you fill in around them. My assumption would be you'd see Walker in the starting lineup and probably cups just because that's at least a set of guys who have started games before I don't know if that's too much of a, a leap to kind of go put Leal in there. I think he probably earned that earned that opportunity if you give it to him but I think as a coach you're probably trying to figure out how am I gonna start the game is he a guy who can really uh, because of his basketball IQ watch some of the things from the bench? Um, be able to point things out and see things. That's one of the things with him that really stood out to me. There was a, I think it was in the first half a play where he's up yelling at Peyton Sparks to get up on, I think it was Sanford and just cause he'd gotten switched on to him. I think it was probably a, you know, you're not really thinking probably a whole lot that you're going to have to guard this guy pointing it out. And like, so Sparks just runs out and, cl- you know, gets out to him before he can get an open shot um, before he even got the ball. Cause he's so attuned to what's going on in the bench. So y- you would not, Have to make, uh, you wouldn't have to twist my arm to say that Leo could be in the starting lineup, but I think it probably is a case where he ends up playing a lot. Uh, I think again, against a team who's pressing, a guy like that serves you well. You want a guy who's smart, going to be in the right spot, going to get other guys in the right spot, and then be able to uh, attack things from there once you break it. So I think he's going to have a big role. If I had to bet he wouldn't start just because he hasn't so far, um, but that would be the way that I would think that it would go. I don't think you're going to see, at least at the onset a lineup that has Mbako at the four and then cups, Leal, Galloway uh, in the backcourt, although you may see that game, that, that lineup at some point during the game.
1: We saw it against Iowa and, and that's kind of foreshadowing what we're going to talk about in, in segment two. Uh, and guys are going to have to be ready. You know, uh, CJ Gunn has seen limited minutes. Uh, he's going to have to play a role. He's probably uh, the seventh or eighth man off the bench, depending on who needs to come out. Peyton Sparks is going to have to rotate in there for where, and Walker and then uh again how do you back up that 4 if if Malik is out uh do you go to with Mbako down there at the 4 and play the a uh, uh, a smaller lineup uh, those are all things that are going to going to play but this is a game that Indiana should win and needs to win uh, to continue going despite the injuries. Uh, and I know there's always a lot of talk, well, uh, we we lost this game, we lost this game because they're injured. But we won two Big Ten games without X at the beginning of the year. We would rather have X play. Obviously, it makes Indiana better, and we think Indiana's better with our full complement of players. That is a a, a, a no-brainer. But you, you play. My team is on the floor. Uh, you have to go out and protect home court. And if there is any chance at postseason – this is a game that is a must game, regardless of who is healthy and, and who, who isn't healthy. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the changes that I think we've seen uh, coming up here uh, in, in segment two. So uh, stick with us here.
0: The spirit of performance
2: is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
1: There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Um, we're going to talk Iowa and some changes that have been good for Indiana in the last couple weeks. Stick with us. all right everybody thanks for being here glad you're here uh it's always a a good assembly call radio after wins uh just like the post game show is a uh first half i was all excited and wrote the start of the show and then all of a sudden indiana's trailing at the end i'm like crap now it's gonna be how do you do (laughs) how do you do that and then they end up winning so it was it was a good show
0: yeah it was uh yeah, I mean, it was the kind of game. I think you said this earlier, Coach. The kind of game we've seen IU teams lose uh, plenty of times, uh, and plenty of reasons and excuses you could point to if you do lose it. But um, specifically like, like to said, Iowa, uh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. The, oh, the who the opponent was, yeah, made it even <laughs> even worse in some ways. But
1: man, so hopefully, something that, to
0: build that, on for sure. That
1: was a nice play that they hit there to take that lead on that inbounds play with limited shot clock time. I mean, it was just well executed. I mean, well it just defended. takes an
0: absolutely like perfect pass to throw that yeah. distance. perfect
1: pass. Yeah.
2: Crazy. Okay. Perfect shot. I mean, perfect you know, defense was played.
1: Yeah. Cause a lot of times kids will run through that and foul. Right, because yep. you you got caught up a little bit in the screen, and you're closing out, and and then you bail out a team at the 1.7 seconds left on the shot clock, or whatever that was, with three free throws, or two free throws if his foot was on the line. So it was it was well defended, and, and had to be perfect. And that's just you got to be kidding me, <laughs> that kind of t- type of play. <laughs> but the, the the credit does go to the guys for for finding a way uh, to to fight back. So.
2: It was kind of like a variation of that Brad Stevens play that everybody runs sideline out of bounds now, where he like fades a post guy and then they yep. run a, a guy off that that
0: pin down like to the yep. opposite side of the floor. A lot we of teams called run that, that wiper. I was gonna say, I feel like uh, Carolina ran that against Kentucky and something. Yep. A, yep. a couple years yep. ago in that CBS thing that they and they we got would, a, uh, they got a basket to win it or tie it off of or something like that.
1: So. Yeah, we would love to. We we worked that at Western. We would throw it across the court screen towards the ball and send a guy back and throw it and then we would it's a reverse hammer you know the hammers on the baseline yep. when you baseline drift hammer screen but we would we called it a wiper because we brought a guy back um towards the ball the three-point shooter uh so you get your best shooter coming off that top screen that's good stuff though um it is I hate that, it's very I hate good that. i have to say that about fran but <laughs> holy cow did i see well it was an offense. it was an offense it
0: was an offensive play i mean what do you that's gonna, true that's true
1: i saw a friend like meltdown last night uh at for delphi bracketology i was in mackie holy cow chris uh, collins. that was glorious
0: that was oh, that was oh, fantastic
1: <laughs> unbelievable i'm up in the media and, fran, and fran
0: is the connective tissue because he's the guy who stared down courtney green last year
1: apparently yeah. collins
0: should have tried that and uh get him to just you know turn his apparently turn a blind eye to the blatant hook and whatever else yeah but yeah, that was i, I see
1: them going down to the other end and all of a sudden i look and there is this collins come charging to the back he was all the way in the three second lane just yelling at the official and then he just was lifting his arms to the crowd when he was going out and uh it was it was epic but he, yeah, uh, the technical very, was
0: one thing. The fact that he was like shook hands with a couple guys and wrapped yeah. up Edie before he yeah. hyped up the crowd and left. Yeah. Like the series of events that he did after, even after he got thrown out, was just outstanding. And the, I'm good, I'm good, as he's cussing yeah. the guy out. Just fantastic yeah. stuff.
1: It was, and and then I didn't know if he'd come in and do the press conference. He was awesome in the press conference. He was calm, cool, collected. Wouldn't that? He wouldn't answer a, question, a specific question about the fi- uh, the officials, but he kept saying, "Have you guys ever? You've done a lot of ball games. Have you ever seen?" Fifty-plus free score. throw advantage. Yeah, yeah. when you look yeah. look at this box score, I've never seen a box score like this. He was doing everything but calling them out. And uh, I will tell everyone this too: I, it's what I I am very fortunate now that I'm not coaching high school basketball that I get to go cover a lot of these games. And I know a lot of these post game conferences are on YouTube and people can go watch them, but I get to see them live. There was a student reporter from Northwestern, um, and the the room was packed, and he he stumbled on his question. And then he, then he panicked and he forgot he had to hand off the mic. And it was an embarrassing moment for him. And Coach Collins, after getting ejected, an overtime loss, a difficult loss, he, and he knows this kid because it's a regular, he said, hey, you're still my dude. I love you. Hang in there. And he went on to ask another question. And the kid got composed and asked a question. And I just thought, you know, we get all mad at people all the time and the losses. But, man, there's a guy who was hot a losing coach last thing he wants to do and he still had the class to make a, a young reporter who's trying to you know hone his craft um I, I just thought that was classy I don't know if that was picked up and anyone saw that when they were watching Big Ten or whatever else but I I just I thought that was that was um a, a really cool moment by Coach Collins yeah that, 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 that is that's cool. the the anti-Bayheim I think we can call that yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah, he's, he's. I think he's, we got
0: in there a question coach later about some of the foul disparity and stuff like that. There was one, right? I feel I think like there's so. a question that a kind gen- of relates that. General, All right. We'll general. talk, we can talk, maybe we can talk a little bit more about that game then there's, yeah. there's definitely elements of that to, to discuss that. Uh, yeah. That would probably be worthwhile.
1: Edie is hard to guard, hard to play against and hard to officiate. It, to, yeah. To, to be no, told, nobody like hard. him. Yep. Because yeah. yeah, we'll talk about that there. Let's, uh, yeah. Let's go here into segment two. All right, here we go. All right. Hi, this is A.J. Moyer. What's the only thing better than upsetting Duke in the Sweet 16? Celebrating it with friends afterwards. Join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach for the assembly call after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosiers. Welcome back to the Assembly Call. I'm the coach, Brian Tonsoni, here with Andy Bottoms and Coach Adranyez. Uh, we're going to now talk a little bit about the Iowa game. I was on the post game show, so I'm going to let these two awesome dudes uh, share share their thoughts on, on, on what happened. But, fellas, I, I'm just going to sum up this and then toss this stuff to you. Uh, it seemed like the week off that Indiana had before the Illinois game really was beneficial. I, I think the d- two defensive efforts in what they forced Illinois to do and have a bad night and, and forced Indi- uh, Illinois to stand an awful lot, the defensive effort at Illinois was good in a loss. And I thought holding um, Iowa to 68 uh, uh, points and, and a, a, you know not a perfect points-per-possession defensive effort, but again, Iowa is known for offensive efficiency. I thought those two performances were really good, and we're seeing some other adjustments with subs and, and things of that nature. So, segment two, uh, fellas, is is going to be yours. We'll start, Coach Adranya. What changes have you seen? What adjustments have you seen that you have, have liked uh, in these last two ballgames since that, that week by for Indiana? Sure, yeah. It, it, my biggest one
2: is Indiana on the defensive end and how they're guarding ball screens has – has been schematically changed. Um, you know, Indiana, at one point this season, their opponents uh, were shooting like 39% from three point land. Now, some of that is just pure chance and, you know, water finds its level and things, but they were one of the worst in the country at guarding the three point line. And a lot of that was coming off of ball screen actions because, guy for one, Indiana was going over the top screens. So they're having a fight over. So then the help side was really getting dragged in because the ball handler had kind of had free reign because they were in drop coverage, which is basically where the big basically continues to retreat until the guard can can come back to his man. So Indiana was just getting all out of whack in their help and you know the kind of the nail slot rim stuff that, that we've talked about previously essentially ended in over helping and guys getting wide open looks. And it was kind of happening again and again and again. And we saw it last year a little bit with the Penn State game, especially like where Penn State just got open look after open look. Um, But Indiana has made a conscious change in how they're guarding ball screens. Really since, from what I can see, the Purdue game. Um, Like I said, Indiana is now number one in the Big Big Ten games. Indiana is number one in guarding the three-point line. Um, Opponents are shooting, I believe, 26% from three in Big Ten games against the Hoosiers. And that's a stark contrast to where they were in non-conference play. And they're going under screens. And I think what a lot of people don't realize, and, I, and to an extent probably Woody does didn't necessarily realize about college players, is like spot up is king. And when you're trying to shoot threes off the dribble, there's not a lot of guys in college basketball that are knocking that down at a consistent level off ball screens. Whereas NBA, you know, that's a shot you got to be able to make if you're a guard in the NBA college basketball, it, it's not necessarily that. So really, IU used to be kind of sacrificing dribble pull-ups going under screens for spot-up looks, which, in in I mean, in college basketball, far and away a better shot. So they now are not helping. At, at some point, they're even staying glued to shooters, and they're just allowing that 15-foot jump shot as the guard goes underneath and the big goes into drop coverage if you go back and watch the Iowa game, you'll see it a lot. Tony Perkins will go off a, a ball screen. Sanford's in the corner, and XJ or Gabe or whoever stays glued to Sanford, and uh, where does his drop coverage, and Perkins really goes one-on-one, and he shoots a lot of tough shots, a lot of tough twos, which is exactly the shot you want your team to shoot. So to me, that has been the biggest difference. They also did it against Illinois. Um, and like I said, they even did it against Purdue. Um, they, they dared Braden Smith to shoot threes. Braden Smith, a very good shooter. He actually shot pr- really poorly in that Purdue game, a lot of that off of that ball screen action. So they're seeing the fruits of their labor in terms of that. And what I really liked was the adjust, they made an adjust, so they're going under all ball screens pretty much. Sanford was hot. They started going over on him. So it wasn't like it was just like a, this is our coverage and we're sticking to it. It was like, here's our coverage. And then if this guy's going to go off, like we're going to go over and we'll force him to drive. So very much scout driven stuff. So that to me was like, all right, maybe it's not, you know, maybe there's not as much stubbornness there as, as we maybe thought in terms of like, this is my defense and this is what we're going to do. And you could talk about it till you're blue in the face, which I, I am. I'm going very long-winded now at this point talking about this. Um, but, you know, was, in the NBA, you've got 82 games to figure things out. Um, so, you know, 10 to 12 games of trying different things or trying a scheme isn't really a, a big chunk in the grand scheme of things. In college basketball, you know, it's it's less than half of that. So you take 10 to 12 games to learn a scheme and it's not working You've lost a 30-year season, and that's kind of what I think we've seen with Indiana here. And it's it's an adjustment. It just is for for Coach Woodson to kind of have his season shrunk like this. And what's why I think with the subs and stuff, like he gave them more run than he probably should have in, in certain games, trying to like get them ready to go in situations where he needed them. And now you know it's kind of crunch time, and he's he's gone away from you know those subbing patterns that we saw. The defensive scheme has changed, and Indiana looks a lot better, to be quite honest.
1: Coach, I want to hit on a couple of points before I go to you, Andy. One, Indiana's been 12-7 and seven every year under Woodson. And last year they took off and had a good regular season. The other year they lost five out of seven and had to have that run in order to get a 12 seed. This year, 12-7 and seven again. So it seemed it does seem like a pattern of trying stuff out early and then settling in on what is going to work better late. That has been a pattern for three. I think that was a very good point. And I do think the defense of sticking to shooters, I agree with you about Purdue, so it was maybe even before the long Long break and even maybe a little bit at Wisconsin but they, they are making a change with that instead of that that penetration stuff at, at the nail all the time they're they making some good adjustments there but defensively that they've done a fantastic job with that Andy what have you seen that's different in the last couple of games and maybe specifically the Iowa game that you really uh think is good
0: well I think you know, both the things that I'll bring up Maybe more out of necessity than by design, but um, although I think you know, one of them is the substitution patterns. Tony alluded to that a little bit. Injuries have played a role in some of that stuff changing, but I think even prior to that, you were seeing some, you know, less of that, uh, as you go on, and and so I think that's been a positive thing. You've seen guys though, like. CJ Gunn and Caleb Banks. And I think this may be another thing just in terms of like what you're trying to figure out from a season perspective and how it compares to the NBA. I think Ryan Caraza brought up a, a similar point on inside the hall today. And yet to Tony's point, 10 games in an NBA season is you know, 12 percent of the season, 12 and a half percent. Well, 12 percent of a college season is like four games. And And what we're seeing is you're gonna run these 10 games through. I'm giving everybody a chance to play and then kind of figure it out. And now those guys are getting squeezed a little bit, and we can have conversations about what that might mean for development or how you do some of those things and, and figure it out. But you are seeing uh, a bit more of uh, of you know a shorter rotation and more mixing and matching, at least, of, of different guys. And then offensively, uh, it really these last couple of games have forced, either without wear or without renew, have forced there to be better floor spacing when you're getting some of these uh, looks out there where you got, four guards or, um, three guards in a and different things like that. And, and it really is pretty stark how it can open up the floor for different situations. Uh, I know Tony talked about that in one of his film rooms about how to get Xavier Johnson going and looking at screenshots of what's happening year over year. And, and you just can't get enough guys out of the way out of the lane uh, sometimes when you're playing the two bigs, despite the fact that they've shot the three well, that's not really how they've been deployed. I mean, they've made those threes off of different situations, but you're not starting in a you know four out one in setup. You're not starting in a five out setup, so you're running all these things, and then there's no place to go in there. So again, somewhat by necessity, but I think you've seen better spacing, and you've seen IU do a little bit more of what you see in other modern college basketball teams in terms of being able to drive, kick out, attack a closeout, find another guy, do those things, and then be able to have guys who have their feet set ready to shoot. That cup shot at the end, yeah, he's wide open, but he's also ready to catch the ball, shooting in a much better position than him going off the dribble where he's not going to fade to one side or the other. Make or miss, that's a good shot. And one that he got from Galloway, being able to get in the lane, kick it out. Uh, and do some of those things. I thought Ware did a decent job because he's so much taller than anybody that Iowa had, being able to really see over the top and um, being able to find guys uh, you know, for th- from three-point range. Now, that didn't happen as much in the Illinois game, so um, you-, you teed me up to talk about Iowa. That wasn't really the case there, but um, but I think that floor spacing has been a lot better based on the lineups that he's almost been forced to play.
1: Andy, and, and both of uh, Tony, in your film room, the, the play that stood out to me was, I think, the third or fourth possession of Iowa. They had already run that double pin uh, action baseline for a catch and three for M'Bacco where he the guard screens on one block and then he comes off that double floppy or whatever you want to call it. But then the th- action that I really liked that spoke to what both of you are saying and gives spacing was then they ran a double um, – down screen to the corner for Embaco. So there's three guys on the three-point line to the left side. X had it on the right wing, and X drove the ball. And that was your film room when you said that it was clouded in there or crowded in there, and and guards can't – Get clear shots, and I think X XJ got fouled on that. I don't think he made the basket, but he had a clear drive because they were out in the corner and they were having to play the best three point threat uh, in Baco. So Andy, that's the spacing with the different lineups and then the different actions, and that's a positive. the The suggestion would be we need to see more of that deep into the game. I think what we see and. Uh, is a lot of preparation before the game and the first five to eight minutes are somewhat scripted and they want to do this action and this action and then this action. And then sometimes I don't see that as much as, uh, you know, and, and maybe I'm old-fashioned Coach Adranya that if some if something works and you got your best shooter, I'm going to run the damn thing three keep or four hitting. times, five <laughs> times, keep hitting it until they make an adjustment, right? Um, especially with a kid like Mbako, when you saw him – When he's gone and and hit shots early, it's really been a good thing. And other than the Purdue game when he got in foul trouble, you want to get multiple people involved early, but then you got to come back to it. And other than timeouts and out of bounds, where I think Woodson is just fantastic in in those situations, I would love to see him – have a little more thumb, I've said this for years, on calling some of the stuff that they call in the first five uh, minutes of, of each half uh, on, on that. Was there anything, guys, uh, Andy, I'll come back to you first for this one, then to Tony, any anything that you you didn't uh, like as far as an adjustment or you feel is is still an issue with the Indiana despite the win?
0: Yeah, w- one other thing to hit on the positive side, and you know, time will tell whether this is um, – schematic or you, you lucked into it a little bit I mean the offensive rebounding was such a key uh, in that game against Iowa and that's not something IU had done before now whether they saw something from a, a, that perspective of being able to try to uh, crash the glass keep Iowa from getting out and running do whatever the case may be or guys just did a good job of you know getting rebounds on their own or whatever I, like I said I don't know enough to, to, to know whether that was uh, the tactical exactly but um, you know, that's really for a team that struggles to score. You got to try to find a way to get easy baskets. I thought they've done that. I think we've seen some really good things from Mbako in that regard. Really attacking rebounds. Did that well against in, against Illinois. Thought he had some moments of that as well um, where he's got the size to be able to go in. You know, you got to take advantage of the benefit. You know, he if he's playing the three, he's going to have a size and strength advantage on a lot of guys based on how other teams play if you're putting him at a potential disadvantage defensively in there, like take advantage of what he can do on the glass and, and some of those things. So I think that's a positive remains to be seen, whether that's something that's sustainable. I think the defensive stuff that Tony talked about, obviously that's a conscious choice. They've done that. They've executed it well. You're going to continue to see it. I don't know whether the offensive rebounding falls in that category, but it is something Penn State uh, has had some issues with at times. So uh, something that could prove uh, critical as well on Saturday again.
1: If if I'm talking about something, and it's not really an adjustment for coach or anything, but Indiana still struggles finding and locating shooters in transition, and and McKenzie has gotten so much better in many areas, but watching the game the other night, Woodson was not happy with him losing Sanford Ugh, I think <laughs> th- three times right in transition, and and the kid made us pay. All, all three times. One time, so.
2: M- Mbako was on this side, as was the Iowa guy. Mbako runs to the opposite corner as his guy runs <laughs> down that yeah. same lane, and Woodson is like, "What are you doing? Like, what made you go <laughs> way to the
1: opposite corner?" Uh, how much, how much of this is um, uh, Woodson having to do some of this stuff because of the injuries to Ware and Malik going to a little smaller lineup, and and do you think it's the success? that we've, we've seen it a little bit, uh, the four-guard lineup, I believe, at Illinois for about two or three minutes, but three guards at Illinois when you bring Leo in with Galloway and, and X or whoever else is in there, you saw it a lot more in the Iowa. How much of that was because of, of Illinois, their five is like a three almost with, with Hawkins and Iowa the same. They have a they don't have as, as fluid a five, but smaller teams. Uh, do, do you think it was just forced matchup, or do you think that it is something that they're really looking at, Tony – uh, and saying, you know, this gives us a little bit uh, more spacing, as we've all talked about, and you did in your film room. Do you think it'll it'll continue? I guess is what I'm I'm asking.
2: Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. And I think sometimes when you're when you're coaching a team, it sometimes it's hard to see the forest through the trees. And like, look, Malik Reno is your best player. Klowe Ware is your NBA guy. Mackenzie Mbaco is a guy you're trying to get to the NBA, and so. When you're the coach, like, you're like, I got to have my three best players on the floor at all times. You know, the, I'm, I, so you're – you are you just get so wrapped up in that that, it, like, sometimes it's, like, hard to get the 30,000-foot view where it's like, oh, wow, like, we can run some actions where, you know, my two bigs aren't planted on the blocks or whatever the case may be. So I think now that they've seen it and it can be successful, I, I can't see that they would now retract that um, – maybe I'm wrong I mean I I, Woodson did say in the coaches show after the Illinois game he would have liked to see how Illinois matched up against the two bigs um so you know there's he still certainly uh, he likes those those two bigs there I think he likes the size advantage and all of those things but at the same time it it's really interesting because you know it's like you get so wrapped up into Woody and like you know is he just old school and he just he wants to play two bigs and things like that but then like he ran a very modern action when it was I think it was the four guards on the floor and where he ran he ran XJ off of a ghost screen for the ball to Galloway and then he did a double uh, screen with Mbako and Ware with and he, he exited Xavier Johnson to the opposite side of the floor. And sorry, I know my hand movements and things are really hard to follow right now, but uh, basically what it ended up happening was Trey Galloway came off of a screen, Mbako floated to the three point line where they have to guard him. Ware went to the rim, and his guy just set the screen, so his guy's got to now hedge on the ball. And Xavier Johnson exited the opposite side, so there's no help, basically, to tag Ware. So he gets a lob to the rim, and if Embaco guy wants to help, then you get a three to the corner. Like, that is a very modern action. It's modern basketball. It's So it's not like... He has this this mindset of like he's not learning anything, or he you know he's only going to play two thousands basketball. Like he's got these things in his head, so that's like kind of the point I want to make is like it's not like this is all foreign to him. He knows these things, he has these concepts in his bag. So to me, it's like all right, let's let's see a little bit more of it. Um, so that's I, I agree. that part of it's what's interesting to me.
1: I, I agree, and that's my point of having your thumb on the offense. I think college teams need to be uh, run by a coach or as a lot of teams are doing now an offensive coordinator to take it away from a coach because a coach is thinking officials and subs and and official all this stuff uh, and, and you watch Colorado State's doing it Purdue's doing it I think Illinois is doing it to some extent where the offensive guy is is, is calling uh, the action uh, but I, I do agree I, I think there is no doubt in my mind that there are good modern actions and put your post players in screeners both of those guys can shoot threes, so they're not going to be, you know, you're not going to put a big guy at the rim when Ware is out at the three-point line. If he's flare screening or they're double pinning, that's why I said that one action, I will go back to it, that I like to see, and you could do a variety of those things. Uh, that double uh, pin down to the corner or down screen to the corner, however, you, whatever terminology, that just, it took... Three defenders away from the help, and XJ just drove. And and you can do that with two bigs as well. You just don't have to position two bigs constantly at the block and at the dunker spot or diving all the time into the lane and then trying to have someone someone drive. Uh, you you had mentioned this before, Andy, about uh, Woodson's hands being forced with with the lineup, sir. Are there any questions going forward that you have? Uh, of you know, I was happy and I will be happy when it b- beaten Iowa. And we and Woodson has not beaten Iowa before, but we know Iowa is not known for its defense, so the offense automatically is going to uh, look a little better. You beat the press, they go to a zone, and, and and the shooters hit shots when they were open, and all that's good. Any lingering questions going forward when you play not, Penn State? It's Penn State. We should beat them, but not, then you're going to go on the road again and play some teams that are very similar to Indiana and better. Is it a pro, is it? Are we progressing? I don't know. Just. Your yeah. thoughts of there, what questions do you
0: have? Yeah, I'd be, I'd be curious to get you guys' thoughts on this because I think the big lingering question for me becomes if Xavier Johnson is out for a period of time, which seems likely uh, at this point, Galloway becomes your primary facilitator at that point. How do you help him excel in that role? Like, to me, when I watch him, he doesn't seem to have the same pick-and-roll sense as Xavier Johnson does or has exhibited Where Trey seems to be his best, either like straight downhill trying to get a layup for himself, or more like driving kick stuff as opposed to the other way. Or, you know, he he's one that likes to go baseline and pitch it to the corner. So I guess what I, you know, my question would be is like, how do you alter things schematically to run stuff that allows him to take advantage of the stuff that he does well and maybe hide some of the things that he doesn't do as well in that role? We've talked so much about him being asked to do a lot, wear a lot of different hats this year like you got to try to simplify it a little bit for him on offense at least to figure out where he's most comfortable and what kinds of things he's most comfortable doing knowing that you're not going to get away from ball screen stuff cuz that is you know a part of what you're doing offensively but but how do you help him be more effective at the things he does well coach i'll give you first run you, you guys may have a different opinion than i do on how he handles the pick and roll too so i could be totally off base there but he just doesn't seem as comfortable Throwing lobs and some of those things in those situations, at least for my for my view. You talking about cups? Uh, talking about no. uh, Galloway. Galloway? Galloway.
2: Yeah, I mean it, it's hard because he's just in a completely different role than what he's had. He's been asked to do, um, you know, for the majority of his career in terms of just high usage, a little bit more offense. Um, so it's just tough um yeah i mean he he really gets kind of sped up a little bit when he's asked to kind of take over the ball handling duties i think what was it it was like a 48 second span he had three or four turnovers um on tuesday night and then you know there's other times where he's just brilliant and so it's he's really a tough one to gauge um you know his his shot isn't falling right now so then that obviously lowers your confidence which just lowers your level of play in general um you know I was really hoping that Kansas game would kind of springboard him into what we thought he would be this year but yeah with him it's just it's it's tough to to rely on him to be to facilitate the offense just because he's been a little bit of Jekyll and Hyde
1: yeah and and some of the answer would be too is is Cups is not great going downhill right now he's not going to beat people like XJ could could do that so I think part of your answer Andy is what's the best way to utilize cups Um, you can't expect cups to come in and be xj and blow by people uh, on the pick and roll or the straight drive to the rim and, and create stuff right now he is more of the facilitator and if that's the case you move Trey off the ball and put him in situations run him off screens where the defense is moving and then he can attack a closeout and do what he does best, which is get in the lane and score, or get in the lane and find an open man uh, that isn't involved in, in ball screens. If he is, if the coaching staff thinks that he's struggling with that uh, that role, then you put him in a position where he can he can um, attack bad closeouts. Uh, but that that then needs cups to handle the ball. And I think when XJ has been out, they've had cups do uh, run the offense. The other thing, the adjustment that I think would have to be made is. You can't run a lot of ball screens with Gabe Cups. Gabe Cups is going to have to pass to someone, Mbako coming off a double screen or a flare screen or, or those things. He's, I think he's more of that type of guard, at least now in his freshman year, and maybe he'll evolve to that ball screen type of point guard. But he's more of the, hey, we're going to get an offense. I'm going to hit the right pass. And the last thing that I'll say just off the top of my head is if Mbako and Leo, and I know we've all been waiting for Gunn to hit it, but if, if some of these guys can consistently hit eight, nine, ten threes, and you're running action for him, uh, now that's going to make Galloway's job better because it takes some of the burden. I just I just think there's been so much defensively, offensively, leadership uh, put on Trey that it has affected his game uh, at times. Sometimes he's been outstanding, sometimes he ha- hasn't. Uh, I think all of that combined, that he needs his teammates to play a little bit better to alleviate some of that uh, usage uh, and some of the stress on on scoring and everything. I don't think he's a, a twenty point scorer. He's a ten to twelve. If he gets, I think the key Andy is if he gets five assists or more, Indiana's going to be in ball game. You know, if he's not passing the ball and has to be the scorer, I don't think Indiana's that good. And that depends on a lot of a lot of other people. Uh, Coach, uh, your uh, your thoughts on that? Uh, Any more thoughts on on Galloway? No,
2: I mean, I, I think I agree with a lot of what you said and just, you know, there's a lot thrust at him and that's, that's hard to take all that on. Um, you know, just, just leadership in general is hard, especially when you're kind of coming into that role and then being asked to kind of be the head of the snake on a lot of different areas. Um, and then, you know, losing your starting point guard that, that adds a lot of pressure on you as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tough spot, tough role for him. Um, to be in, and you know, you, you hope he can kind of find this groove coming down the stretch here, because Indiana, quite frankly, needs him.
1: Hey, Andy, the last lingering question before we move on to mailbag, uh, I'll throw it to you and Coach. To chime in if you want to as well. Anthony Leo had his dream game. Is in our banner moment. Everyone's happy about it, A- and we now know that he's practicing really well and he's been very patient. We all are rooting for the kid. What are fair expectations for Anthony Leo in in, in maybe minutes and production? uh going forward um yeah he had his great game but what's fair for us as fans to expect from anthony leo in your opinion coming off his his uh, career high
0: i I, you know i think probably different given what the personnel situation is currently right but but i mean we've seen the way cj's guns minutes have gone so it feels like the opening is there for leo to get 20 minutes i mean I don't know where else you go for some of the, the time there. And I think with him, I think you expect what you've seen, right? Guy who's going to be in the right spots. will have some struggles defensively at times, but I thought did really well. And a guy like Perkins kind of got his chest into him. Didn't get driven. Um, and somebody that can, you know, fight somebody if he's inside a little bit, if he has to, and you go small. So, you not going to be able to deal very well with quicker guards, but I think for ones that are a little more physical, like Perkins, I thought he was uh, really, really had some solid defensive plays uh, down the stretch uh, against him. So I think you look at that, and um, you just need him to be able to to make a couple catch and shoot threes. Um, you know, his one drive, the the pickup he had coming up and like laid it in was really good, but that's not what you're looking for him to do. It's a great added bonus, but I mean, if he can stick two threes a game I think you'd be excited about it right like so I don't think you're going to see him scoring double figures every game but if you get six eight points I don't think that's unreasonable if IU plays small gets uh, opportunities to get him shots he's shooting it with confidence and um, you know getting into a little bit of a rhythm because he's getting to play enough so to me I'd say he probably gonna play 20 minutes or so a game at this point maybe a little bit less maybe a little bit more depending upon how things are going and what other guys are doing and Chip in six, eight points. So he rebounded well the other night, grab you a few uh, rebounds. Talk about guard rebounding and some of those kinds of things. And uh, he's a good passer. Coach has talked about this for a while, that he's one of the better post-entry guys on the team. So to the extent that this is going to be a team that wants to continue to feed the post, uh, he's a good guy to be able to do that, but then maybe relocate and find uh, find his way into some open shots.
1: Interesting. And, and Coach, I'm going to come to you. Interesting you have Cups and Leo, guys that are always, I think, in the right position most of the time and no one's no one's perfect there they play really hard they compete they understand the game they're in the right position and coaches love those type of players and those players can help a team win the question is volume minutes scoring you got to have the other guys play at a high level if cups is going to score five points leal might get 10 but he might just get three but he's in the right spot defensively and he's he's the leader on the team so you have like Uh, a couple glue guys and a somewhat glue guy in Galloway on the floor. You need those other two guys to play at a high level. But there's no doubt that Leo, I think, can contribute with what he's shown uh, and his patience and that, and and he will have up and downs just like every player uh, does. But the expectations for me to think is fair is that he's going to come in and do the right things. He's going to be in the right spots. Now, whether he scores will be another – you know, situation that I think it has to be uh, right and and the offense has to work to get him shots. Uh, But I think we need to be fair not to expect 13 points a game from the young man uh, going forward. But I think we can be confident that he'll do the right things. And I think he makes Indiana better. By being on the floor, I, I didn't think that was going to happen. I know someone brought that up in Twitter. I thought Gunn was going to take those minutes, but but it hasn't happened, and Anthony has performed when his his number was called. Fair expectations, uh, coach, uh, uh, for Anthony Leal from us us fans.
2: Yeah, I think you guys hit it on the head. Um, you know, I think with with Leal, he kind of reminds me of like especially the game he had the other night was like what you grew to expect out of Miller cop, like Miller cop, he'd have games where he, he would, he shoots better than Anthony Leone. He's more versatile offensively, certainly, but Miller cop, you always knew he was going to be in the right spot on defense. He, he made the defense better, which is, you know, kind of sounds like an oxymoron to talk about Miller cop's defense, but he was always in the right spot. He knew the system. He knew where everybody else needed to be. And then um, offensively, you know, knocks down open shots he, again he knows where everybody has got to be he feeds the post well like those are all things that Miller Cop did. Um, so to me Leal has, has been a nice you know obviously it's been a short small sample size but he's kind of what I grew to expect out of cop last year. Um, it, it's kind of what I've grown to expect Leal on a lesser level because it's just gonna be lower volume less minutes all those different things but um, you know I think you guys hit it on the head of just knock down open shots, be in the right spots, play hard, lead. Um, you know, there was a moment where I think they were reviewing. Um, it might have been they might have been reviewing the Xavier Johnson foul. Or they might have been reviewing the Iowa foul. And a couple guys were just kind of squabbling at each other in the huddle. And Anthony Leal stepped in and just kind of, like, put his arms around the guys and just, like, was kind of laughing, like, what do you guys like, what are we even arguing about here? And kind of just, like, everybody had a laugh. They got back together, and then, like, the team was good. So even from just, like, a leadership standpoint, it's great. He understands the scout. Like, all those things, like you said, matter, and is like – you know, Coach Woodson has now grown to trust him over a guy like CJ Gunn because he knows he's going to go in and, and do the right things more times than not.
1: He was smiling all game long. Caught him on camera. He and Sanford had a nice little conversation there. Um, th- those are those are good things uh, to, to see. A lot of good from the Iowa game. And the, the lingering question is how much carries over. You know, it, it's okay. We're we're happy with the one. But now we want to go two, then you want to go on the road and win one. You're going to have a couple tough games coming up. Uh, You want to keep stacking good days, stack days, stack days. Don't be satisfied with one as fans or or as players. But coming up here on the Assembly Call Radio, it's mailbag time. Got a a bunch of great questions, um, so we'll answer all of those next. Stick with us here on the Assembly Call. Uh, Andy, I'm going to combine the first two bracketology questions for you and I, and then I got a coaching one for...
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to
1: search for a candidate isn't to search at all.
0: Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And... Listeners of this show
1: will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your job's more visibility at indeed.com/match. Just go to indeed.com/match
0: right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. indeed.com/match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? And the best part, you can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at TV slash
0: poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month.
1: I'll go okay. to, to um, coach with on the fouling uh, late when you have files to give uh your thoughts yeah. on, on why I, people I, do I, that whether that's a good i have not. thoughts on that too yeah yeah so but i'll <laughs> leave do many with, people I, i'm sure. yeah. yeah you're good you're good okay let's go right into it um. this is tim priller and i never miss an episode of the assembly call I'd love to see Tim Priller in the world of NIL. The dude probably would have made bank. Uh, But hi, I'm Coach Brian Tonsoni. We're here now, mailbag time. I'm here with Andy Bottoms and Coach Adranya. We're going to answer some questions. All of them uh, came, or most of them came, via our private IU basketball discussion community on Substack, which you can learn more about by going to assemblycall.com. We have a couple of bracketology questions. I'm going to ask both of them, and then I'll just turn it over to Andy uh, to, to answer those, and I'll fill in. David asks, from a metrics and bracketology perspective, what is the path, if any, besides winning the Big Ten tournament for Indiana to make the NCAA tournament? And then the other uh, comes from Rick Watson along those lines. This is water under the bridge question for our resident bracketologist. And, and I know there's no exact answer, but a two-part question. We're 88 in Ken Palm, 94 in net. Had we beat Kansas and Illinois, how much difference would that have made? Had we won all of the buy games by expected or better than expected amounts, um, where would we probably be sitting in the ranking or bracketology? Take it away, Andy.
0: Yeah, I'll answer the last part first because somebody had asked me this question on Twitter and I went back and looked at the numbers. The, the question I got asked on Twitter was basically, how in the world is Iowa 30 spots higher than what Indiana is right now in the net, given that their overall record is pretty much the same. Their record in quad one and two is pretty much the same. Uh, and the answer lies in, in the answer to the, the last part of this question was about beating teams and what the margin was in the, in the non-conference. So both Indiana and Iowa won eight non-conference games. Uh, Iowa was the only one that had a win that um, fell in Q2 which they beat Seton Hall, but each of their eight, they won by at least 13 points, including that Seton Hall game. So decent team beat by 13 total margin of victory for them in those games, 212 points. IU on the other hand had six of the eight were Q4 games. The other two were Q3, won them by a total of 75 points. So that's a difference of 137 points in those games. Like that makes a huge difference in efficiency. Like nobody really played great teams. And so, you know, that's a big difference there. So that's that's kind of the answer to the last part. Um, not really a great way to estimate where IU would be in the net beating uh, Kansas and and winning at Illinois. But any kind of road win, given what, you know, analytic expectations would have been in that game, uh, would have certainly bumped you up quite a bit. Beating a top team like Kansas at home would have helped quite a bit. I mean – still would only be two quad one wins in that scenario, but would have to think they'd at least be in the seventies somewhere and probably closer to being in the conversation uh, than what it feels like they are right now. Um, and then, you know, the other question in terms of like, what's the path um, you know, you look right now, there's four quad one games remaining at Purdue, Wisconsin at home, Michigan state at home and at Ohio state, uh, which is the, the next game for IU after this Saturday, uh, that one may not be in Quad One for long, given the way that Ohio State's playing. They're kind of on the on the border. Then you look at Quad Two. You've got home games against Northwestern, Nebraska, and then road games at Maryland, Minnesota, Penn State, and then the home game against Penn State. Like I'm not so sure. Yeah, you know, the, the challenge right now is I use 0-7 in Quad One games. So basically, according to the net, your seven toughest games, you lost them all. Lost them all handily, really, except for the Kansas game. Uh, I know we all can say that the margin of the Illinois game wasn't as it maybe wasn't as great as the eight points that it wound up, but the reality is that's what shows up on the team sheet. So you, you got to probably win two of those quad one games, I would guess, and maybe lose, you know, so and and almost win the rest of them. You know, quite honestly, like I don't know how you get out of there without you're probably not going to make it if you end up zero and 0 and 0 and ten, and quad one, and you win most of the rest of them. don't have that the Rutgers loss looks worse so to me you got to win two of those and if you got six other games I would say at least five of those probably all six so you'd need to be eight and two uh at that point you you could hang your hat on you don't have a bad loss you'd only have one loss outside of q1 at that point and then at least you'd have a couple q1 wins but uh obviously it feels like a stretch for a team that we were excited to just win one game in a row. So do with that, what you will, but. The, uh, and the good news is Ken Palm has us projected to
2: win all those that you were just talking about. Too oh, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the struggle comes with it, If you just get two quad one wins and one of them's at Ohio state and that may fall out anyway. Like you have to, you have two games against Wisconsin and Purdue, which are major, major wins right now. You have to win two out of those three. I mean, you you have to beat a Purdue and a Wisconsin, uh, I think. And, and if you, well, you got, got, you got and,
0: Michigan, you got Michigan State too.
1: Yeah, but I don't think that carries as much weight. Uh, who who knows where they're going to end up? It, it is a quad one, but I'm saying I think you need yeah. some top quad one wins. Oh, for as sure. As well as for just sure. if you if you beat Michigan State and you beat uh, Ohio State and you lose to Wisconsin and Purdue. Uh, yeah you're you're two now you're two and nine in quad 1 but your two wins your best win is Michigan State in, in that situation and then the Ohio State loses and they fall below 75 and now you only have it, it's a you yeah. got to win all you're of you're not going to have enough wins yours. against
0: and, the field at that point yeah, that's that's yeah. the other part but, so yeah.
1: it, it that's the that's the struggle and to go back to question number 2 if you put all of that together in your question if you beat Kansas and Illinois and you win the early games. I think you're probably on the bubble uh, in the mid, late 40s, early 50s, or small, or the the low 50s net wise. Uh, if you if all of your things came true there, I think Indiana's probably sitting in a lot of brackets um, because you have a couple quad one wins. Um, but the other thing about bracketology is right now our last four teams in at Delphi Bracketology. Three, three, four, four quad one wins, and they're the last four teams in the tournament, and Indiana's sitting with zero. Um, you know, and, and there are a couple teams with two uh, and, and a few teams with one quad one that are being considered and dependent on where you go in Florida and all that kind of stuff. But Indiana at zero compared to the teams, if you move Indiana up, so the question gets asked a lot, and Andy, I think you agree with this. What does Indiana have to do? Well, Indiana, Indiana has to do that. Plus, a lot of teams have to either stay where they're at or fall below for Indiana to move up. If Indiana moves up, other teams have to move down, and there's such a uh, a wide variance there. So, but let's play good basketball and learn lessons and develop players and move on. I mean, at the at the minimum, going forward, it's still a, a reason to watch games and cheer and do all those things. Um, despite that, and so, get a Tony, good draft pick. Yeah, exactly. Here's a question. We'll start out with you. I know Andy wants to chime in on this too, Bill. Bill Mullis uh, asked this. My question is, what is the strategy of the unintentional, intentional fouls in the last minute of the first half of the Iowa game? I understand the basic strategy of fouling when behind to force an opponent to take free throws. Maybe they'll miss, get the ball back, et cetera. And I understand in that context that if your team is not yet at the one-on-one limit, then you have to commit multiple fouls. But at the end of the first half, uh, when, but when we're in the lead versus Iowa, what do you seem to call players to commit two fouls in the last minute? And even that did not put Iowa in the bonus. Iowa had possession at 36 seconds, meaning at the end a good devi- of a good defensive possession, we'd maybe get the rebound with a chance to for more points. IU fouls reset the shot clock, and then uh, that was now turned off with Iowa inbounding the ball. Seems like a stupid strategy to me, just racking up needless fouls. Never know what is going to happen in the second half. Please explain, because certainly I just don't understand. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, we'll send it to you of why a coach would do that and whether you agree or disagree and and the one point for me is the 36 seconds uh, yeah it's a key part of making that decision
2: yeah to me Indiana botched it um i mean there there's in my opinion there was no reason you should let Iowa get the last shot of the half off um and to me it even goes back, it actually goes back to there was like 48 seconds left. Um, in the half, Indiana had the ball, and that's like a perfect two for one opportunity, which you see all the time in the NBA. Um, you know, you you run a quick set, get a good, get a good look, you have an opportunity for two for one. There was there was no incline, like Indiana had no desire to go two for one. They were kind of walking it around. They were setting things up. Um, they happened to turn the ball over with 36 seconds left to Iowa. Otherwise, um, there was no two for one in sight. Then Iowa gets the ball, and I think it was like with 18 seconds left was the first one. So they actually had two fouls to give. So they they ding the first one with like 18 seconds or 16 seconds, something like that. Shot clock is now turned off, and Iowa holds for the last possession. Um, and then they fouled again with 10 seconds, which to me is entirely too early um, because you still give Iowa ample time to run something if they get to downhill. Like, to me, you, you run that if they get downhill – and you think they have a good opportunity to score, like you give one then. Or you want to disrupt the flow and there's four or five seconds and you know they're about to get their action they want, you give one then. Um, but to just kind of do it aimlessly, um, and I think – I can't remember who picked up the fouls. I think one of them was on Xavier Johnson. Was
1: one, I think.
2: Or my, yeah. Because um, they took and, him you know, out after one of them.
1: For, for like a team miles.
2: that is really shortening their bench – um, you know, Woody is is very much shortened his bench. Um, to me, it just was kind of needless. And then the fact that you gave Iowa the opportunity for the last shot, um, I just thought they kind of botched what they thought they were trying to do. Um, to me, there it does make sense. Like I said, if if you're disrupting flow towards the end of the clock, and um, you know, guy gets downhill, and you're preventing a scoring opportunity, or you want to make them take it out and run like a short clock situation, sideline out of bounds. But uh, the the manner in which Indiana did it just didn't didn't make a lot of sense to me, nor Bill. It seems.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I would. I was going to say the same thing, Tony. I mean, to me, you do that as it gets late, so you can disrupt them from getting into a flow and make them kind of start over from the sideline. But there was another game, and I forget which one it was. They did it a bunch at the end of the half, and it was just like just totally senseless because they would foul without really running any time. They, they racked at multiple fouls without really taking any time off the clock. I don't remember which game it was, but I was I was beside myself trying to figure out what was going on. And it was, I think whoever was on the show that I had talked about, like it clearly wasn't really something that they had practiced um, or kind of understood situationally. It's no different than fouling up three. If you don't work on it, you set yourself up to, to botch the situation. And that's what it seemed like, that they were – given fouls for the sake of giving fouls, not necessarily for the sake of being disruptive. I think that the purpose that you see most of the time that people do that is to be disruptive and to take them out of a set. But you got to let them get into the set first before you start doing that or understand the shot clock situation and say, look, this isn't the time that we need to do that just because you look up and you and you have that. Not to mention you can't get yourself in a position where you have one guy pick up both the fouls that you're given. And then all of a sudden, especially for a guy who likes to auto bench players when they get two fouls, why are we just give racking up two fouls on the same guy? And a I know that's not what happened the other night, but I think the other game it did and you had guys just pick up fouls. So I think there is a strategy to it, but I don't think the way that I, you did it follows along with at least a strategy that I'm familiar with of why you would do it.
1: I, I agree. I, I have used that strategy before, but it's time specific. Um, if, if, if it's – and I don't know exact, but I would say I, I'm fouling if I'm not in the one-on-one and I have availability of players to foul and maybe put in a sub to foul uh, so I protect the starters. But I'm looking at 10, 12 seconds, right, or, as, or an emergency. Like, all right, we're guarding. We're going to run the shot clock out, but if a guy blows by you we, we'd rather take one and have them reset at 18 seconds if they blow by you, but that wasn't the case. In the previous game, they were telling people on the fly what to do, and Mbacco fouled before there's like .2 seconds off the clock. So there's, exe- there's, there's the thought behind it, and then there's the execution piece and in both situations, I don't – and then Galloway picked up a foul and Walker went for a shot fake, and I think they ended up getting to a one-on-one one anyway or, or shot free throws in the previous game that you were, you're referring to, Andy. So the execution wasn't there. I thought that was probably good strategy timing-wise, but not executed in the first one, and you're absolutely right. You have to practice it. This one, with 36 seconds, I think you just play the shot clock out, only emergency foul. And and I don't think Indiana emergency fouled. Um And and then the second one with 18 seconds, they're likely to take the last shot. So you want to take that with five. If they start their action at five, six, seven, and then make them go into an out-of-bounds situation. Uh, Last night's Purdue-Northwestern in in the overtime. uh, Purdue fouled. um, uh, It was a tie game in regulation. Northwestern had the ball. Purdue fouled with six seconds left. And then they forced the ball into the backcourt. And Northwestern still got a good shot. But um, Coach Collins said they didn't want to take a timeout because they didn't want Purdue to set their defense. Well, Purdue had a file to give, so there's some strategy too. You file now, you can communicate to people, you know, hey, we're we're trapping ball screens, whatever. You can now make a communication because the clock stopped uh, a little bit better. So there's all kinds of that. It's not bad strategy, but the timing, the execution, the decision when to uh, deploy it, I think was was not very good. Um, so. Um, we're going to uh, Jeanette Meridou asked this. Why is there such a discrepancy in foul situations given from team to team in the big 10? Andy, uh, what are your thoughts? Do, is there, does this happen across different leagues or is it just a big 10 problem?
0: I mean, I have, I I wonder what could have spurred this question. Um, I, you know, we we were talking about it at one point. I mean, I, 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 my only assumption is this was based on the, the Purdue Northwestern game. Um, I I think I can't speak to how much of a discrepancy there is across other leagues. because so I just don't watch other leagues closely enough to really know that. I think you see that sporadically from game to game. Um, I think some of it is reputation based. We talked about this with Wisconsin a lot. Like I think officials get in their heads like this is a team that doesn't foul a lot. And they may get away with a little bit more or um, some of those things. And then I think you have a team like Purdue with Edie. Like, officiating him is no different than what you looked at with, like, Shaq back when he was in, in college, quite honestly. He's so much bigger than everybody else. Sometimes he can get called for fouls just because he's bigger than everybody else. But they also let guys just beat the absolute hell out of him. You go back and watch some of those games against Shaq, I think you probably could make this argument about the game when I you beat him in the tournament. Like, just beat the absolute hell out of him. In that game, he actually made free throws. But um, – So I think that's hard because I think they think, well, the defense is at a disadvantage against them, so we're going to give them a little bit of leeway. But then there's other things that they call that are kind of like touch fouls and you find yourself asking, what is the guy supposed to do? Um, I think the fact that Purdue generates a lot of fouls through him is not an accident and not really unwarranted, quite honestly. I think the bigger question is more on can you watch a Big Ten game and how physical it is at times and look and say, this team really only committed this many fouls. Now, if you're a team who's chucking up threes all day long, I get it. Like, that's fine. You're not really doing that. So, you know, Nebraska is an example. shoots a lot of threes. They're probably not going to generate a bunch of fouls, and I don't know that anybody's going to complain a whole lot about it because the reality is their offense isn't designed to get the ball inside and to, guy, and, and, and to guys to get fouled. So I think there's going to be extremes that probably are too extreme, but I think style of play is a big part of it. And I think with Purdue, for as many fouls as you probably call against Edie, you probably didn't call ten more. Um, but it's just a matter of how you try to figure out. I mean, you got to kind of feel out how the officials are going to going to handle him in any given game. Some of the games are really going to let him get pushed around. Um, but there's challenges with officiating him on the other side too. The three second, uh, you know, there was one possession where I was like, "You got to – I mean, you just can't let him stand there that long and i know he thinks the shot's probably going up and he didn't need to get out and whatever so there's stuff on the other side of it too don't get me wrong but you also like he gets called for fouls too for just being big um which is you know probably a gripe that people could have on the other side of the argument so i'm not probably as passionate about it as some i do think that was a little bit much on the discrepancy but i think you could look at things either way and say some things were justifiable and some things weren't
1: Yeah, Coach Collins thought they were driving the basketball or trying to drive the basketball, so they needed more fouls, but they really didn't get into traffic an awful lot. But Edie is a tough guy to officiate. I don't think he gets enough fouls called on him, to be fair, but I also think I agree with you. He just gets beaten up. You have to be physical with him. Uh, And then the way you beat Purdue is by beating up their guards and beating up Edie. And Indiana tried that in the first game and just fouled a lot, too. So. You know, you've got to put pressure on their guards not to pass it into the big fella, and then you file the big fella, and so that's naturally going to be a part of Purdue basketball. Um, and then I actually had a high school student make a pretty good point today. I, I about stopped and retired, um, but um, <laughs> in in, bra- in bracketology, he said, "Do you really want officials making sure the files are even? Is that's worse than having a discrepancy?" Because we were talking about the discrepancy, and and in some ways that made me think. You know, okay, you look up and it's like it's 10 to 6. Now i got to fall, call four fouls on Indiana to even it up. I don't think you want officials being Well, that Congress. would never happen, we know. Right. But. <laughs> but he made a good point. Like the argument that people say it's too big a discrepancy, well, what do you want, you know, some rule to, to even it up? I, I thought that was something to, to think about too. What you do want is officials to be in the right position and call a game consistently. I hate the loose calls in the first half and then tighten it up in the second. Or if there's some bickering among players, now you get fouls. Uh, there was a foul call in the game last night where there was a rebound. The guy bumped someone on the rebound and had no impact on the game, and they call a foul. Uh, and then that leads to one-on-one situations later with the accumulation of fouls. So more of it is consistency and calling um, plays more than the discrepancy for me. Coach?
2: Yeah, I... Uh... I'm also this uh, Wisconsin Nebraska game just came down to the last second. I think it's going to go to overtime here. Um, so I'm sorry, I was had my eyes on that. But yeah, with the foul discrepancy, you look at the foul rates of both teams, and it's like it's not that. I mean, the discrepancy was it was large, and it was probably a little too large. But you know, you look at Northwestern; they're 312th in the country in drawing fouls. They're 327th in the country in in the amount of fouls they commit in terms of foul rate you look at purdue they are 14th in the country in the amount of fouls they draw they're eighth in the country in the amount of fouls they commit um in a good way you know 22 so like both those teams styles like was were on display last night purdue gets fouled a lot they don't foul a lot on the defensive end northwestern doesn't get fouled a lot and they commit a lot of fouls like you know the the numbers kind of are what they are when when it comes down to that. Like again, the discrepancy. There were some things like that last call. They called a block, and, and Lance Jones hooked the guy, then fell out of bounds. Like those, that's like where things get amplified, and that's you know that was the call that like really set Chris Collins over the edge. Like he waited until he knew the game was out of reach before he went and lost his mind. But he was really mad from the previous call of of that block that wasn't really a block.
1: Just a few more questions, and then we'll go get packed up for the the meetup here. Uh, Kevin uh, Sermesheim, hope I pronounced that correct. In back-to-back seasons, IU has been assigned technical fouls for the way they gave the ball over after a made shot. I believe it was the game at Iowa last season and then the game at Illinois a week ago. I'll admit I don't watch a ton of non-IU games other than during the NCAA tournament, but I don't ever remember seeing any other team ever get penalized for that. Is the rule ambiguous? Uh, Were we truly in the wrong on those plays? Or is this an example of incompetency of big 10 officials, Andy?
0: (laughs) I I don't remember the,
1: I don't remember the one last year. uh,
0: So I can't speak to that one. I I think the Illinois one, I, I think part of it is who it was. I think part of I think a big part of it is who it was quite honestly. I mean, the same thing talked about a minute ago, getting reputations for not fouling. If you think, if you think these guys, they've either worked games with Avery Johnson before, or they know to kind of watch them. So, big part of it was that I think the other big part of it was the way Coleman Hawkins reacted, which was probably overreacting to it, but really drew attention to what had happened. And and the third part is like, you know, you probably just don't need to do that. Um, you know, whether he would tell you after the fact he was doing it to show him up or not, like you very easily could have just let the ball go through, throw it to the official, do whatever. Um, I think that's what you get some of the time, you know, especially cause the clock's just going to run out anyway. So it doesn't even matter. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I just thought those, I thought things other than the actual action itself amplified what was, what was done and kind of how the officials handled it. Um, but I also don't feel like, I, I don't feel like I see that in a ton of other games. So I can't really speak to whether it's consistent or not. I think anytime you're throwing the ball at another player, no matter what your intentions probably going to get somebody's uh get somebody's attention so best to leave it be but I, I don't remember the one from last year so i can't i can't put that one in the proper context
1: so andy your last comment is is the important thing when you throw the ball whether it's just giving them after a basket or not you bring into uh affect the officials where the ball lands all that kind of stuff by rule you're supposed to let it drop in the the official's either supposed to get it or the the team that just got scored upon is supposed to grab it and take it out of bounds. Uh, I don't know the college rules specifically, but I know in high school you can get a delay of game for those things, and, and we would actually do that to get the clock stopped if we were, didn't have timeouts. We would bet, tell our guys to score, bat the ball out of bounds. You are technically not supposed to do that. And then when you grab it and throw it... Um, but all, the other point is the officials talk before the game. like They had two explosive... Personalities on the floor in Coleman Hawkins and Xavier Johnson. The three man crew had to talk and should talk about. We want to make sure we get these guys to play and don't get overheated and watch. X has had multiple flagrant fouls. We want to make sure that he doesn't incite anything or do something. You don't want to do that. You don't want to be looking at it too much because then you create something. And maybe that was the situation with this. But the ball hit Coleman Hawkins in the face. Do I think it was intentional? No. But knowing X was it a little bit, I scored, uh, and we got back to four, so here it is. Um, He didn't need to do that is the point. And because we're Indiana fans, we want to defend X and we want to complain about the officials. But act like you've been there before. Uh, Score, go into halftime, you cut it to four, uh, and and let it be, in in my opinion. So I'm sure it's happened in other games. Um, Without watching, you probably don't see it. Uh, So – but I do think that it is something players just ought to let the ball go through the net and let it go and, and stay out of trouble there.
0: Yeah, I'm not so sure it gets called if Hawkins doesn't react the way that he does. Because, as you said, he is also an explosive personality. Yeah. Like If he just catches maybe, it, like
2: if he's just paying attention and
0: catches it. If he just probably... catches it and whatever, it probably isn't a big deal. But him kind of right. charging after him is like, well, you just incited this, so now I'm going to punish you for inciting the situation. And they always so tell us it's just, supposed to be the second like guy me. that gets in trouble. And then, yeah. then
2: the first one does this time. Yeah. Yeah, to me, I, I thought. Oh, sorry. I Go ahead. I thought it was a. I thought it was like a split second. Like I I wasn't as upset about it as a lot of people. Like he yeah. he was on his second jump, got the ball. He was on his third jump, it went in. He kind of caught it and threw it. Like it was such a split second thing. Like when you slow it down in slow motion and you like think about all of the like the, you know you look at the flick of the wrist or whatever. Like I think you could really overanalyze it. It was a reputation call. X kind of made his bed. He's got to lay in it.
1: Yep. Yep, I agree. Uh, Kerry Lonis says, did anyone see the Florida Atlantic-North Texas game? Good defense. It was nonstop. Open the court. Run some screens and drive and kick for three. A lot of threes. It was entertaining. Could you see IU ever going to an offense like that? Coach Adrana.
2: Is that like some foreshadowing there? (laughs) 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 Kerry, we feel your pain. Yes, we did watch that game. We watched a lot of
1: other ones, too. (laughs)
2: Yeah, I was watching the Notre Dame game the other day, and um, you really liked the way they were running offense. No, but Uh, don't get coach uh, excited. We can't have that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I did not watch the game. I I have watched several Florida Atlantic games, and they they do run a fun style uh, of offense, and they've got a dynamite player. Um, And uh, you know, if if you ever want to watch good basketball locally, Indiana State is so much fun to watch. Yes. Um, their their coach is gonna be a high major coach next season. Um, you know, there, there was a fantastic article actually in the athletic this week about him. Um, if you get an opportunity to read that, it's great. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a ton of high level basketball coaches at all levels of the game. Um, I guess is my point here that run fun stuff. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, I, uh, my brother-in-law plays division two basketball, and his team averages 104 points per game. Like, it's the most fun basketball to watch. If you follow me on Twitter, you probably see me uh, tweet about them a lot. But there's um, – yeah, there's a lot of good styles and fun styles out there to watch. Um, and it seems, you know, sometimes it's at the lower levels where teams – you know, coaches have to get more creative with scheme um, based on, like, talent deficiencies and things like that.
1: Um, so – yeah, there is. And I do think so. And I think hopefully it's Coach Woodson can evolve and run that himself. This isn't, you know, we're in a positive week, so we're going to stay off any any of that negativity. Yes, that is fun offense. I think it's good offense. I think it's winning offense. Uh, one of our fellow uh, listeners, I don't know if he's listening tonight, but also co- is an assistant coach up in Illinois, and he sent me this. Uh, his team that he helps coach won 91-71, uh, a record 21 total threes uh, for a high school game. Um, uh, eighth all time in the Illinois record books for threes. Um, and and so there is um a, a lot of a, a lot of different ways to play the game of basketball. All coaches have philosophy, but there is a lot of good basketball, uh, which runs a, a lot of stuff like uh, you mentioned, Carrie. So. We're with you. My my advice is like get three or four smart TVs and watch three or four games, and then keep rooting for our Hoosiers. Uh, but college basketball is great. A lot of a lot of good stuff. And then our our last uh, question comes from our, our fellow Back Home Network podcaster Kathy Amos, and she asks, besides seeing me, uh, and and others, what else are you looking forward to at this weekend's meetup? Is there a place that you have really missed, Andy or or Tony? Let's go with you first.
2: Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head with what I'm really looking forward to is, is seeing everybody, um, you know, in the community. It's it's always one of the best weekends of the year. Um, I'm super excited about the venue. Upstairs Pub is, is um, a really cool place and they've done a lot of work to it and they're really embracing us being there and, you know, making t-shirts and they've been promoting it a lot. So I'm looking forward to the fine folks there, um, you know, and, and having a couple of libations with everybody. So, um, you know, big weekend fun weekend um kicks off here shortly
1: uh andy uh
0: yeah i mean i would i would echo what tony said excited about the venue uh have heard great things about what they've done there haven't been since they uh have have remodeled it and and uh done some things there so looking forward to that uh always always nice to pop into nick's which i'm sure we'll uh We'll visit at some point or maybe multiple points. Uh, So I guess if there was a place, uh, that would be, that would be it for me. Uh, It was always my dad's favorite place on campus. So uh, that's where he and I would always go on the occasion that we would get down to a game and stuff like that. So uh, I'll say there as a, as a specific place.
1: It is amazing how many awesome people uh, listen and tune into the show that, that I've met over the years that I've done that. And the meetup uh, affords the opportunity to see that uh, Josh Pope joy, uh, and, and his friends were yelling A.J. Moye at, at Switchyard last year, and we've met at concerts, and we just had a text exchange, A.J. Moye text exchange. Uh, um, Dale uh, is in the chat tonight. We met outside of the, the right field foul pole. It is just a time to reconnect for those of you who can, who can make it and, and for us to say thank you in person uh, for making this uh, so enjoyable. For me, the place, I'm going to kill some Pizza X breadsticks. At some point at like two in the morning, um, I I know, I know there are other places and that's just free advertising. I'm sorry, Jared. Uh, but man, I'm going to kill some pizza X, a few slices of pizza X and and some breadsticks, uh, in the hotel room, uh, real late after, um, you know, Bob Moats buys me several, several beers, uh, at several, (laughs) several venues. Um, so, really looking forward to, to seeing you. That's it. We're done. No more questions. All right, Ryan. Hope you're starting things out down there. Uh, but that's going to do it for this segment uh, of uh, this week's episode of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for this live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. Thanks to Bob Thompson for the music, uh, producing our music. Thanks to John Ringer of rigdesign.com for designing our logos. And thank you for listening. Until then, take it from me, Jawan Morgan. Keep your elbows in, eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers.
2: Thank you.
1: Thanks for coming out.
2: Coach Tonsoni is always right about Oops. basketball.
1: That one didn't play.
2: Catch me if you can, Coach T. That'll do
1: it. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in Uh, on this Thursday. Again, we're looking forward to meeting as many of you as possible. Uh, We will be out uh, on the town tomorrow, Uh, so try to find us uh, after we're uh, done meeting as a group and having dinner as a group. We will be out, and if you're out as well, come say hello. And then Saturday noon, a reminder, the live game show at Upstairs Pub with Galen and and Scott and, and some other fellow Hoosier fans And then about an hour after the game is when we're starting to plan the show. We have a lot of different segments. It won't be a regular show. And a reminder to the podcast listeners and to the people who join our live show, post-game show, we will not go live immediately after the Penn State game as we usually do uh, the rest of the season. It will be up uh, on YouTube and in the podcast fees at a later time. We are going to record it, uh, but we don't have that ability to to go live at that point so uh, make sure you uh remember that if you can't make it and fellas thank you great show tonight always always good talking with you guys
2: yeah i want to want to yeah. give a shout to the x's and joe's guys and then sam's story so every time i'm on here i'm in my office it has nothing on my walls and uh last week when i was on for the post game show they were laughing because it was just bare, and so this week I ended up with this. Uh, it's like the dogs playing poker, um, gifted to nice. me from Bob, Mike, and Sam Story. So uh, appreciate them seeing my bare walls, and I um, actually, if you see, I got some other memorabilia behind me now. So it's it, yep. it sparked change for my wall. I'm I'm gonna hang some things up, and now that I've lived here two years, I figure I should probably decorate.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> a the place
0: you- up with the dogs playing poker. I mean right
1: and now again another reason to drink on bob moat's tab like
0: exactly he's got the he's got the disposable income obviously proven proven generosity says it all. (laughs) absolutely
1: (laughs) Uh, if he gives you the dogs playing poker he can give us a few beers that's that's (laughs) definitely uh on the cards all right everyone uh get packed up go grab a hotel room tickets are expensive for the game for some reason maybe because we're going to be in town who knows um but uh, looking forward to seeing you. Andy, be safe. We'll, we'll see you tomorrow night. We'll see you, Coach, yeah. as well. Yep. Um, appreciate everyone. Good night. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. See you guys. Bye. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader.